House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe. Game changed. Hello and welcome to House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe. I'm Emer Constantine and I'm joined in studio by Fergus McFadden. We will be joined very soon by Springbok star and 2019 World Player of the Year, Peter Steph Dutois, and we are very excited to chat to him. But we really do have to start off with the Pro 14 and those two gripping interpros on Friday and Saturday night. Ulster and Connacht both had brilliant starts in their respective games, but Leinster and Munster got the job done and will meet in a league final for the first time since 2011 at the end of this month. Starting on that Ulster game, Ulster 19, Leinster 38. Ulster had a superb start, tries for Marcel Coutier and Robert Balakoon. Then a second yellow card for Leinster. Fergus, what was your take on Frank Murphy's yellow cards for Devon Toner and then Jimmy O'Brien? Yeah, well, I think the, the yellow for, for Dev with the, the high tackle, that was, was only a yellow, you know. Um, he's such a tall man and, and in fairness, Michael Larry is he's kind of dipping there and... Uh, you know, he didn't really, thankfully, catch him too high either. Yeah. It was just around over his shoulder. Um, so, yeah, it was a tough period for Leinster because Ulster really did start well. They threw the ball around. It was a nice day up there. And um, they really stretched Leinster's defence. But I thought Leinster hung in there when we went down to 14 and then, you know, almost even better when we went down to 13. I think Ulster probably kicked away the ball a couple of times when they could have held on to it because the key against 13 players is holding on to it for as many phases as possible. And um, yeah, the, the Jimmy O'Brien one was, you know, you, you could be disappointed if you're an Ulster supporter. I'm sure a lot of the Ulster players were, I, I could see Jordy Murphy was very frustrated as a, as a captain there. Um, there was absolutely no intent from Jimmy O'Brien as, you know, uh, Mads was jumping for the ball coming in. It was happening very quickly, but head on head contact, you could argue that the, was probably a, a red card so he's probably lucky to get away with the yellow but still um, I think Leinster showed their class by managing that period so well and, and um, you know uh, not conceding too many tries during that period. They absolutely did and then obviously they scored through Michael Bent and then um, Josh van der Feers powered over the line after that so Leinster really just showed their dominance and like the patience and calmness um, to come back and, and bring it back in. But obviously Stuart McCluskey um, was then yellow-carded, which didn't help Ulster's case. Yeah, I think stuff like that was just... I, I'd say Ulster fans, you know, uh, in, their, in their houses were, were putting their, their chairs through the TV because it seemed like a lot of decisions were just falling Leinster's way. But I think the reality of the game and the way the game unfolded, if you take the, the cards out of it, I think Leinster were just... You know, over the course of 80 minutes were so much more cynical. I think, um, you know, Ulster started really brilliantly, yeah, but but th this Leinster team, it, you know, it only really gets going, you know, come a 60 minute, 60th minute and then it can unload its bench. And I think that the, the bench yesterday um, probably probably showed up what Ulster had on their bench. I think we, the you know... Um, we just went to another, or Leinster just went to another gear when that happened. And I think, um, frustrating for Ulster though, because the scoreline definitely didn't reflect the game. Like, I, I don't think Leinster deserved by as much, as, <clears throat> to win by as much as they did, particularly after um, another, another tricky decision with, with Balakoon, uh, that second try yeah. that he scored, what getting ruled out. What do you think about that? The running line that he was, was it blocking? Was it a close one? It was a great try. Oh, it was a 
unbelievable finish. And I think Mads had said on the show a couple of weeks ago that he is a talent to, to look out for and he's, he's electric. He looks like he's recovered pretty well from that, that hamstring injury. I, I do think it was probably a penalty, to be honest, because if you, if you uh, are a decoy runner, but, but the person getting the ball in behind you has to run around you, it's very difficult for the defender um, in front of that decoy runner to get past him and hit the guy who's actually getting the ball. So you could see there that um, Reese Ruddock's eyeline was just cut off by Stuart McClussey and then Balakoon ran around the back. So um, I think it was probably the right decision by Frank Murphy. Yeah, he was. Um, Frank Murphy was the man of the moment last night anyway with, I suppose, the decisions that he made and another controversial decision that, you know, people can look one or the other way at it. It was um, the red card on Warwick for his... What, what arm, forearm to the neck of Ed Byrne? What did you make of that one? Red card or not? Again, I think it's, I think letter of the law, it's, 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 it's a red card. I thought, again, it's harsh though. Like, I don't think there's any intent from him. Um, and, you know, thankfully, Ed Byrne wasn't hurt, but it, it kind of caught him on the neck as opposed to the face. But um, just very sensitive these days. You know, I think with all of the... Um, the headlines the, the last couple of months around um, concussions and the implications it's had for, for some people, unfortunately, that it's a very, very sensitive topic now. And I think that the, these regulations have been brought in for good reason. And I think um, the refs aren't going to get every decision right, but I think if they're, the duty of care is, is and the, the players' um, you know, health and safety is at the best interests are at heart, then, then it's, it's for the best of the game, I think. Yeah, I suppose um, what is it? Twenty six penalties awarded in the total game. So he was definitely busy last night. Four yellow cards and one red card. Um, have Ulster fans a right to feel hard done by? It was a very stop start game as a result of the amount of penalties given away. Yeah, I, I think the old saying goes: if if you know, the best refs are the ones that you barely even rec realize that they're there because the the game generally flows a lot better. But in saying that, it depends what's happening in a, in a match. You can't, it can't be a free-for-all either. But I, I do think that an awful lot of things are being checked and, and it probably it, it stopped both Ulster and Leinster getting into a real flow in the game. Um, some tough decisions there for Fra Frank Murphy, but um, I suppose when everyone's talk after an interprovincial or a really big match, when everyone's talking about the ref the next day, it's probably never the best uh, sign. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on to the Munster-Connacht game then. Connacht were already outsiders to reach their second final in five years, but they gave Munster a scare for an hour or so until Mike Haley produced a superb solo try. Paul Boyle gave Connacht hope, but a Joey Carberry penalty sealed their first final appearance since 2017. Um, some try, wasn't it, by Mike Haley? That was a brilliant, brilliant try. Brilliant individual try. Um, a beautiful chip with his left foot. He's a he's right-footed player, and it was uh, um, just lovely weight. And it was one of those ones that it just popped up for him. But he had a brilliant game in general. Um, I think Connacht did did kick a bit loosely to him at times, and he made them pay for that. And uh, um, yeah, that was just brilliant. It was it changed the game really, and probably won it for Munster. So fair play to him. It's always awful, isn't it, when something like that happens? Great for the attacking team, killer for the defensive team when it comes totally out of nowhere. Um, you know, there there was no phases built. It just was a gap, unbelievable line and unbelievable chip through. But it's it does some amazing things for teams and boosts them. And obviously, Munster got such a boost off that. Yeah, I think in those tight games, 
and those interprovincial derbies, they, they can just be, the margins are so small that it can only, it can just take a, a moment of brilliance like that, individual br brilliance that actually separates the sides at the end of the day. And um, yeah, Mike Haley's moment was probably the one that, that, that won it for Munster. I saw Bundy Aki was absolutely kicking himself at the very end of that game, giving away a penalty straight in front of post. Like that's just something that you you cannot be doing. Yeah, I mean, he probably felt the ball was out um, because he kind of tried to counter rook and or he picked the ball up and and and, and he felt it was out. And unfortunately for Connacht, um, he got penalised and and Joey had just come on the field and he he knocked over the, the kick. So. Fair play to him, but um, yeah, he will be kicking himself. But um, you know, between Mike Haley's you know break and and the way he scored that try, you know, in the balance of things, I think Munster just about deserved to win it. So Mike Haley and that moment of brilliance, you know, it always spurs teams on. Was there any player or any moment of your playing career where someone just did something phenomenal that like the team really needed at that moment? Yeah, well, I think when you're playing with the likes of, um, you know, Brian O'Driscoll and Gordon Darcy for a number of years, they they produce some magic moments. But one that sticks out in my head is probably uh, quarter final we played against Leicester in 2011 in the Heineken Cup. Um, Easton Asewa got the ball off a um, loose loose kick around the halfway line, and um, he made this break and dummied like three players and just ghosted by those guys. It was one of those ones where people were falling over. He was sidestepping. And just a, a magical, incredible um, individual effort from him. And uh, I'll never forget it. So, yeah, when you have people like that in your team that can do that stuff. But I think, in fairness, you know, all the four provinces do have people like that as well. And it's just about um, a certain scenario opening for them. Like, remember Jordan Larmer's um, brilliant try against, against Munster when he, um, you know, sidestepped five players and managed to have the gas to get in the corner. So, um yeah, th those ones would, would stick out to mind for me. Yeah, there's so many moments as well in the women's game, even like Ali Miller is a winger that was just phenomenal. I got it on my try, she scored for Ireland, but they just came out of nowhere at moments when you needed them. Um, obviously her try, her famous, most famous try is that World Cup try where she, the Ireland beat New Zealand for the first time um, in that World Cup to get them to the semi-final spot. Kind of came out of nowhere again. Similarly, it was Briggsy that claimed a kick a loose kick and then the setter put her away. She had a lot of work to do, but phenomenal score. And even in that last year's Six Nations, we'd been pinned in our 22 for a good 20 minutes against Wales. And again, a loose kick went went up to the Welsh um, 15, didn't deal with it very well, ended up kicking it against a gale force wind. Baven Parsons got it, stepped how many players and just finished to try out a nowhere. And it came from nothing, but it just gives teams such spirit and such hope to go on when you can get something from nothing. It just it's such an inspir it's such an inspiration. Yeah, sometimes you just need when say for instance Ulster Ulster against Leinster and the, they felt probably the tide was against them with all those refereeing decisions and all the rest and them not getting the bounce of the ball. Sometimes maybe if they just had a, had one one or two of those moments, um the the result could have been an awful lot different. Yeah, absolutely. Right, let's get Peter Steph on to chat to us from South Africa. They will be great value. They'll be great value and you'll be able to really buzz off them and they will buzz off one another. And it, you won't be shy of laughs. Your sides will be sore from laughing. And they're, um, yeah, they know each other very well. And do you know what? Um, it's just, I hope they know where to, <laughs> to leave things because 
it is it is a show that everyone's going to see and it's a family show so they can be both the two of them but good value so I, I'm going to choose it in in the past 12 months, we've had Springboks legend John de Villiers, Scott Berger and Victor Matfield all joining us on the show. Today, it is an absolute pleasure to be joined on the show by Stormers and South African forward, 2019 World Cup winner and 2019 World Rugby Player of the Year, Peter Steph Dutois. Welcome to House of Rugby Ireland. Thank you very much. It's a real honour for me to be here with you guys and, and to chat to you as well. We're delighted to chat to you and we're so excited to, uh, about what you're going to tell us about South African rugby and the upcoming Lions Tour. But just to start off, we want to start off with a gentle loosener. We've heard that your nickname when you were with the Sharks camp was the Harvester. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a quite a funny story. Um, one of my previous teammates, Marcel Kutsia, we were warming up and I think it was 2013 probably, just pre-season or one of the warm-up games we were about to play and warming up and Marcel was just uh, sitting next to the side and doing some extra stretching and we were running forward and we had to run back as well and uh, he was sitting without me knowing right behind me and I just tripped over him and I guess that's where the nickname started but uh, it's not one one nickname that really stuck uh, yeah so I guess there's a, there's a few other that probably stuck a bit more but like I said, it's a, it's a funny story how that one got to, got, to, got to me. Is it still used these days in, in camp or anything? Yeah, so I guess uh, these days it's a bit different. Um, I've got, uh, as you know, my, my name is it's Peter Steph. So uh, they call me, a lot of my friends just call me Peter or Steph. Or my grandfather actually had a, a, a funny nickname. Um, he also played for the Springboks and his nickname was... If you, if you transfer it to English, it was muscles. And it's, in South Africa, it's called Spira. And, and that's something that just uh, stuck with some of the mates as well. So you said your grandfather, Peter Steph Dutois, played um, for the Springboks in the 1950s and 60s. He passed away when you were quite young, though, when you were about four or five. Um, was his legacy a big part of your rugby career? Yes, of course. Um, I guess probably that's where the dream started for me as well, um, learning... Uh, what the Springboks really meant from him and and what they'd stand for as a team that that stages in, in that early years as well so always when I when I grew up and saw some of the video clips and some of the stories he told me as well um, that I can remember but not not a lot of um, it, it's quite special for me to to be part of a team like that and always a big dream of mine and I must say being fortunate and humbled enough to being part of the Springbok setup at the moment or at, at the World Cup was was unbelievable for me. How has the last year changed? You know, obviously there's a pandemic, there's a global pandemic at the moment, but how has the last year been for you? Are you still on your family farm just outside um, Cape Town? Yes, uh, I must say the last year for me was quite difficult. Um, in 29th of Feb last year, I had a, quite a serious injury to my upper left leg uh, called compartment syndrome and I've been struggling with that since then and at the moment it's going actually quite well. I must say I'm very fortunate enough uh, that COVID came at this time. Um, like I said, I didn't miss a lot of rugby, especially international rugby for the Springboks. So I'm very fortunate if you look at it in that, that point of view. But yes, it, it, I was at the farm and when we were at lockdown in South Africa at family farm with the rest of my family and brothers. 
and we really had a, a really enjoyable time there as well. I hear um I hear you're the oldest of the four brothers, Peter, and um I also hear that you're maybe not even the best sportsman out of all four of them. What what do you have to say about that? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's probably true. Um like you, uh, like you said, I'm the oldest, and the other one also plays uh, rugby with me for the Stormers. And then there's another one who studies medicine, and he played Varsity Cup um, in, in Stellenbosch as well. But he's, he's almost my size, but he plays uh, fullback, so he's actually quite a, a big guy. And I'd probably say he, he was the one guy everyone actually thought was going to make it. Um, but like I said, he, he preferred studying medicine and having a different career probably more more wise than 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 me and my other brother and the youngest one yeah he's just he's living life and enjoying rugby and and yeah he's just probably enjoying it the way it's probably supposed to be enjoyed and just playing it like for fun that's cool it must have been a the perfect environment really for all four years to have so much space in the farm and i'm sure um you you were probably highly competitive in absolutely everything you did so that must have been pretty cool growing up like that together yeah, like I said, when we, were, when we grew up in uh, on a farm, it was always uh, me and my, my other brother that plays with me, Johan, always on one side playing against the younger two, but it was always uh, they had to touch us and we had to tackle them. So <laughs> it was a bit of an advantage for, I, I, I won't say for which team, but you can just guess. And uh, at the end of the day, we, like you said, we were competitive, but it was always for the fun of it and just the joy of it. And yeah, all the... The, the funny tricks that came from that, uh, yeah, it's, it's really enjoyable and it's always memories I'll always have for the rest of my life. That's pretty cool. There's, um, we obviously, we're just doing a bit of research uh, on you, Peter, uh, you know, aside from um, your rugby prowess before, you know, the show started and all the rest. And, and we had heard that um, y- your father um, got a tendon removed from his hamstring um, to, to aid one of your, your knee injuries, is that right? Can you give us a bit of information around that? Because it sounds pretty uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, injuries have been a part of my career and part of my life since I grew up on a farm. Like you you can imagine, we were quite busy and rough on the farm, um, just like we are in South Africa. But uh, yes, that's, that's true, um, what you just said. In 2014, I injured my knee. I tore my ACL. I was out for 11 months and uh, had a full recovery. Everything went well. And then in 2015, we started with the preseason and everything went really well. The Super Rugby started. And exactly a year and one day after the first injury of my knee, I tore my ACL again in Bloemfontein against the Cheetahs. And uh, it was like, like, you know, it was the 2015 World Cup year. So I really tried to push hard and play well to make the squad. And... Uh, I went uh, to see the doctor the Monday in Cape Town and when I got there, my father actually went with me to, to go to the doctor. My mother normally take me, but he said, no, he'll, he'll take me this time. Um, he left the farm for the first time in a, in a, in a few days. And uh, we went to the doctor and the doctor said, yeah, it's probably ACL torn again. Need to make a plan um, and probably get a donor from, I can't remember the whole story where they wanted to get a tendon from, but they didn't want to take my hamstring again because they took it the first time. And of course, I was, mm. was raised for time as well. And just getting another injury by harvesting another tendon is, is a problem as well. So my father came up with a smart idea if they can't use his one. And the doctor said, of course, let, let me do some research and 
speak to his other colleagues and yeah the next morning i think two days after that we both went in the same hospital room and i went in first and the doctor uh, cut my knee open and saw what had to be done and yeah they pulled him in just afterwards and obviously these tendon and yeah when we came to the farm we both actually went out of the hospital in wheelchairs and when we when we landed on the, when we came my mother took us to the farm he just got out of the car and started farming again. It was like nothing happened to him. I was on my crutches, struggling to the room and had to lie on the bed. <laughs> Jesus, that's uh, that's proper fatherly love there. Would you do that, Ferg? Well, I've actually I've got Peter. I I've got I've got uh, two two sons, Peter. <laughs> one is one is two and one is seven months. So I hope I'm the type of father that is willing to donate tendons to them if, if the time is right when I'm old enough. <laughs> He was very selfless, for sure. <laughs> My father always makes the joke. Uh, I think I'll probably take it as a joke, but I think he's quite serious. And he always says he's still waiting for his paycheck um, because he's always he never had the opportunity to become a Springbok. So now he sees he's part of part of him becoming a Springbok and part of me as well. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, he's, his chance to get out on the field there. Um, your wife is also a physiotherapist. That must have helped with your rehab, I suppose, especially recently in the last year, um, you know, around your rehab with after those surgeries that you had. Yes, yeah, so I must say that's probably a big thing that's in my favour at the moment. Um, <laughs> she helped me a lot during lockdown. We weren't able to go to physios or doctors or do any rehab. Um, so that helped me really a lot um, in just the beginning stages. But I had a, had a bit of a setback with the, with the injury I had at the moment. Uh, it was a long story. I actually had to go in for a second operation again. Um, there was some th- some stuff that wasn't wasn't fixed properly the first time, and uh, I must say probably because lockdown, I, I probably couldn't follow up with the doctors the whole time, and that probably set me back a few t- a, f- a few a few days or weeks. But luckily, everything is fixed at the moment. And yeah, I must say, having a physiotherapist around is always nice and helpful. Obviously, you come from a a rugby background, a rugby family growing up in South Africa. But what's common is young guys, when they go to high school, is to go to rugby schools to develop their rugby further. But you didn't make that change. You you chose to stay with your local school, your local high school, um, which is probably a strange decision for someone who really, you know, was breaking into that Springbok team. Yes, of course. Um, when I went to high school, it was my father actually put me in hostel the first, the first semester. And it's actually only about 10 minutes drive from, from the farm. And uh, I always loved the farm. It's the only place I wanted to be was on the farm after school. And when they put me in hostel, it was quite bad for me. I actually thought they hated me or I did something wrong that they had to punish me like that. But, after the first semester, they saw I didn't like it, and I was fortunate enough they took me out of the hostel and I drove the school bus in every day. And at night, my mother just came and fetched me when all the sports and athletics and rugby and every training, all the training was done. So I must say um, that's probably the a big advantage that I had, um, staying close to home and with my parents helping me and supporting me. I always had a good support system. So I must say that's that's something really counted in my favour. Um, so you said you played lots of other sports there growing up. Um, you did athletics. What other sports did you play? Do you think that they contributed to your athleticism in your rugby career? Yeah, definitely. So I loved athletics when I was in high school. Um, I started at a very young age with athletics and especially the the track uh, the track items I did on the field, on the on the course that really helped me a lot in the way we trained. So I must say our 
my coach then she really developed a lot of my skills and the way I run and the running style and I guess that had a massive impact in me the way I am today and developed and not not going to gym too early at the young stage and gave my muscles the opportunity and my ligaments to to set, settle quite well but I must say injury still took its its part of, of my career so far. Peter um, ju- just going to touch on on the Lions um, tour impending and uh, which is due to start in, in the summertime and there's been a lot of question marks over where it's going to be now obviously because of COVID and the implications it's had on crowds and traveling um, what, what do you think about the idea of it going ahead in the likes of an Australia or even there was a suggestion it might happen in the UK because the way I look at that is you know from my perspective like playing against South Africa I never played against you in South Africa but it's one of the most hostile places to go and that home advantage is so huge for you guys so to take that away um, you know what, what, what do you think about that? Yeah of course I must say we're in different times in the world everyone is in the same boat it's, it's difficult to to think forward what's what's going to happen and what is the right thing to do going forward but I must say to answer your question, it's of course playing in South Africa is a massive ground advantage for us, and just the, the passion and the honour we've got playing here, especially for the Springboks, and you, you almost play with your heart on your sleeve um, when you're in South Africa and, and, and against the Lions because they, uh, probably three quarters of the stadium are filled with Lions supporters, so you don't actually have that much of a home ground advantage. Only the field you're playing on, and I guess that that will definitely play a big role. So. For us going, say for instance, to the UK or Australia, it's it's probably going to be very difficult as well. But of course, you're gonna have, you're gonna face a new challenge in South Africa. We struggled with a lot of stuff at the moment, and I guess the whole world is going through that. But yeah, playing rugby in South Africa, you always try and put your country at a better place and make the people around you proud and your families and the supporters as well. So we'll definitely, even if we play in the UK with the the full stadium um, filled with, with line supporters, it will definitely be a massive challenge for us and that's one we'll definitely accept uh, face on. Yeah, I think the priority for everyone in the rugby world is for it just to go to he- go ahead at this stage, uh, really. But I suppose for people listening, Peter, and you're well aware of this, you know, for Lions players that get picked on the tours, you know, it happens every four years and they travel to, you know, either... South Africa, Australia or New Zealand. But but for the likes of you, you know, it, it comes around only once in, in a South African's career to play against the Lions, you know, I, you know, to get that honour and to get that opportunity. So it, it must be a massive priority for you to try to get back fit again and get back to that kind of standard you were at uh, when you won the last World Cup. Yeah, definitely. So personally, my main goal at the moment is I don't even think about what's happening after the Lions and everything was planned around this year and only till the end of the year and, and hopefully things would have sorted out itself uh, by then but like yeah, like we all know it's, it's different times different challenges we're all facing so yeah like you said every 12 years it's a, it's a massive honor to be part of that if you're just born a year too late or too early you won't make it um, and a lot of a lot of us in South Africa planned our rugby careers around the Lions tour and of course this pandemic came and it actually threw everything apart now so like I said, we'll have to definitely be able to adapt and change and definitely make plans. And I guess in South Africa, that's that's what we have to do. We always have to make plans and yeah, just uh, 
uh, thinking thinking clearly as well. Yeah, well, hopefully the Leinster can go ahead and that we do see it happening at some stage this year. Um, I suppose another proud moment, you know, obviously a proud moment of your career would be to play in that Lions tour. But another proud moment was when you were made captain of South Africa. Razi Erasmus arrives into the scene and you're his first his first game as coach, um, you're made captain in his first test test match. What was the conversation like around that? Or, you know, were you surprised or honoured or excited to be captain of the Springboks team? Yeah, it was actually definitely a big surprise and honour for me. He, I think he sent me a WhatsApp and he asked me, can you phone me? And I said, yeah, of course. I think it was at night as well. And uh, he phoned me and I answered the phone and he said, yeah, straight ahead. He just said, listen, will you be, do you want to be captain against the Wales team? I believe only for one test, but yeah, I guess that's that's where we're going to go forward. And I, he thought I was the right person at that stage to captain it. And it was a massive honour for me. It's something I, I couldn't believe I, yeah, I did uh, cry a bit, um, and I think the the best part of it all was when I found my father, and uh, he couldn't believe it as well. The whole family was so supportive, and like I said, it's it's almost like a dream I, n- I never had, but it was almost too big to dream it. Um, but yeah, I must say I'm very fortunate enough, even if it was only for one test, and yeah, even if we, we did lose, but it doesn't matter. It was it was. <laughs> a checklist, a check, a, a tick on my side, and it's something I'm really proud of. I suppose South, um, South Africa have had such success, and obviously topping it off with winning that 2019 World Cup. But what was the game, or what was the moment that you, as a squad, realised that you know this squad, this team, are going places? Yeah, uh, uh, there wasn't probably one moment when you realised this, and we're going to win this World Cup. It was always. A slow and steady journey for us. We didn't have four years like normal squads had. We only, I think, we had two years, and that was quite challenging for us. But I think the way everything everything was planned, everyone adapted, everyone bought into all the plans, and I think that's that's if you look back, it's actually the first day when when we first had the alignment camp alignment camps and started planning on for the first test match against Wales in USA. That that's where it all started, and for me. That's when I really actually thought uh, we've got something special here. We didn't even thought about, or I didn't even thought about then, okay, we've got a chance for the World Cup. But that's always in the back of your mind. You'll always dream it. You'll always believe it as well. But until we get, until we get there, and, and when we got there, we started seeing we've got a good opportunity. And I must say, when, when Rassi and the whole coaching team told us, listen, if we can beat New Zealand in New Zealand in 2018, the people will give us a good opportunity and a good chance to, to win the World Cup. And he was 100% right. And that's that's actually when, when the wheels started turning for us. Rolling back the years, Peter, to, to um, a younger stage of your career when you played in the, in the Junior World Championships in 2012 with South Africa, when you guys actually won that competition as well. But at the start of the competition you guys lost to Ireland in your first pool game and Ian, Ian Henderson was on that team. He's still currently playing for Ireland and he could well be touring um, to the Lions in the summer. What do you remember of that tournament and, and what other South African professionals um, were involved in that team? Yeah, so when we were in 2012, there was actually a lot of, a lot of the young guys that still play rugby and made it in, in South Africa as well. And overseas teams. Um, I can remember the first game, like I said, like you said. Now we played against Ireland, and we played in Stellenbosch and Donny Craven. And that's the first time I played there as well, and probably the last time as well. And I lost there. 
and it was a rainy day the field was muddy it wasn't very good conditions and they actually moved the tournament from Donny Craven <laughs> to Newlands and Greenpoint because of the field bad condition um, but yeah if you look about other guys that, that played there as well you look at Paul Willems who plays for France um, there's a lot of guys in, in South African setup Steven Kitsov was there Brom Bromstein that plays for Italy. So it was really a lot of guys that made it internationally for other other teams as well that, that played with me there. And I must say the guys that was there was was really good good players as well. So let's fast forward to the World Cup. You know, it's the most recent major tournament that you know in, in world rugby and always the pinnacle of of rugby. And looking at England, you know, they had played so well ahead of the game. You know, what were your thoughts ahead of the game? ahead of that World Cup final? Like, what does someone think about ahead of a World Cup final? I guess we didn't think too much. Um, I still remember it like yesterday when we beat uh, Wales in the semi-final. Lurie Jager just came to me after, after the game and I probably, he probably said it to everyone, but that's something that stuck with me. We, we, just, need a, we just need one chance. And when we got into the final, I mean, one Wales, we just had that confidence there's no way we're going to lose this game. Everything we've been through, where we came from, everyone had a, a special story behind them. So it was a lot of individual guys that motivated themselves, not not just by the team and just the whole road they walked to get there and what we were, had to do. And especially, like I said again, what was going on in South Africa at that stage, the country did need a bit of positive and nice stuff to go forward and especially when the Springboks do well everyone in South Africa is happy and I guess that's that's the same as, as other uh, countries that's rugby mad as well yeah I, I think I think it kind of is more important just from from an outsider it seems more important for South Africans as it when, when the rugby team is doing well that it really unites your whole country, really, Peter. And I remember there's a there's a famous picture I only saw online a couple of days ago of uh, the one where uh, Nelson Mandela is is shaking Francois Pinar's hand before he hands him over the World Cup. And you were probably only a young boy when they when they won that competition, but for you to go on a journey and win it yourself, just how much did that mean for South Africans and to you? Yeah, I must say, um, for me personally, it means a lot. And I know it won't change a lot of things in the country, but just as a sportsman, you've got that dream and that hope that something will change for the better. And you will probably give someone else hope as well and the opportunity to go where we were in winning the World Cup. And like like you said now, I was a young boy and I looked up to those guys. And there definitely was someone that was a young boy when he won the World Cup in 2019 and probably going to say in 12 years' time, listen, those guys motivated me and helped me where I am today. And that's probably all you want is giving people the opportunity and the, the belief that's possible to do what we did and just just believe. And, and that's the main thing for us in South Africa we, we want to get across. There are some phenomenal pictures and moments of the homecoming and the weeks around arriving back to South Africa with the World Cup and the celebrations around that. Was there any standout moment from those weeks that you look back on now and think, my God, that was amazing and I'll never forget a moment like that? Yeah, the whole trip, the whole, uh, I think it was a three or four day trip around South Africa. The amount of people we saw, the places we saw was 
was eye-opening and I couldn't believe the support we had. And I, prob I promise you there was a lot of guys that didn't even know who the Springboks were. But they were standing next to the road and cheering us on. It was it was crazy. And it's probably something I'll never see in my life again. And that's something I'm very, very thankful for. And like I said, it was, it was a really eye-opener for me to see what what some good stuff can do in South Africa, even if it was for one day. People, people, all, everyone was was happy for one day and and uh, really enjoyed the whole the whole setup and everything we did. People always talk about the supporters of of the South African rugby team and how like yes, that's very excited, brings people together. But I think that's probably the main element of that. If the if the Lions tour went somewhere else that that would be the main thing that would be missing would be the really passionate fans, the people that you saw on those trips, on the on the homecomings, on the buses around around the country. That would be the key thing that would be missing from from a Lions tour in South Africa if it was to be moved. Yes, definitely. Um, that's going to play a massive role for us. Um, we we always, always want our families close with us and all our friends. And it's a talking point since after the World Cup is... Springboks against the Lions. Everyone bought tickets, and everyone was so cross when I didn't get tickets. So, yeah, I must say it's going to be a very sad, a sad thing when it when it gets moved to someplace else or have to play with empty stadiums. But like you said, the the, whole, the support in South Africa is unbelievable, and the people here just get crazy behind the Springboks. And of course, they'll always host the Lions with all respect and. And, and, and so on that they can do as well. You were on such a high in the 2019 World Cup, but how disappointing is it to not have played a game, a test match, since then? Yeah, so it's, it's definitely going to be a challenge as well. Um, but like I said, we've got to prepare ourselves mentally. I think mentally is going to be the main, main focus for us just to get that behind. And uh, the training minutes, um, we'll try and implement everything we can and I know the coaches will, will definitely do their research and homework on what we can do and cannot do. So I'll definitely try and play to our strengths again and that will, that will definitely try and help us. Um, I think they try and organize some warm-up games as well. And with, with rugby in South Africa started, I think, two weeks ago, it's, yeah, things are looking a bit better at the moment this side as well. So we'll, we'll be, definitely be ready um, for that. And that's the one thing... For, for, for the Springboks, you always, when you put that jersey over your head, it doesn't matter if you played a year ago or two weeks ago, you'll be ready to play for them. And have you been, has there been many preparations yet so far um, ahead of the Lions tour or have the South African team come together for training camps yet or are you still just busy with club? Yes, yeah, so we're just busy with club at the moment. I think it's, like I said, it's so difficult for us or for them as well, to confirm something because nothing have been, has been confirmed because you can just go into a, a third wave of COVID again and everything can go into lockdown or the whole country and the world can go into lockdown again. So for, for us, I must say for us, it's very uncertain at the moment about everything going on. and We'll probably just take it day by day and when we have some new news and so we'll definitely prepare according to that. But yeah, like I said, it's, it's difficult to prepare and even if you don't know what's going on, what the plans are going forward. Which players, Peter, just speaking of of the the Lions tour, which players from this side of the world would would, would kind of be standouts for you if if they're fit to to tour? Which guys are have you been keeping an eye on? Are you, are you been impressed by? 
in in the South African setup. No, sorry, I'm talking about in, in England, Scotland, Wales, and Ireland. So, any any, any pr- players that you'd be aware of coming down here? That... We we've spoke about it uh, a while ago, and I think it was just after the World Cup. We just won it, and it wasn't long afterwards. And I think someone said, "Listen, the, a lot of these English guys are going to be in in the Lions to a side as well, and they're going to be definitely be." motivated a lot and they're definitely going to try and prove something and get us so I guess all, all the guys that side will will definitely be a challenge to watch out for and that's a problem these days as well this you can't pinpoint someone um, in, in these international setups everyone is so extremely fit and strong and well trained and drilled it's, it's difficult to say listen you've got to watch out for this guy He's, is going to be a, a game breaker or so. It's, it's the whole setup, and if you look at the northern teams as well, they're extremely well coached and drilled, and that's what makes it makes it always so difficult to to play against them. And of course, you need to win. And like I said, it's it's it's, it's not easy. No, it definitely isn't easy, and Warren Gatlin won't have an easy decision either in picking that team. Um, Peter, you turned down advances from Montpellier last year to sign on with the Stormers again. Were you all excited about the prospect of playing in the Rainbow Cup that's upcoming very soon, hopefully? Yeah, so that's that's something I thought was a was a I can't say it's a good decision because we haven't played there and we haven't seen what the schedules are like or what's going to go. But definitely, a, a big advantage for us will be the jet lag and the tra- travel time. It will it won't be a, a thirty six hour travel to New Zealand anymore will be an overnight flight to the UK and you'll definitely be ready the next day to play there as well. So that's going to have a massive impact for us and recovery as well. So I can't wait for that competition to start and see how it's going to play out, especially in normal circumstances when, when everything goes back to normal. So it's, it's something, and of course, personally for me, I like the UK and the rugby they play that side. is it feels to be a bit more towards our strengths. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's, it's difficult to say when, when we don't know what's going on at the moment. I suppose when the Rainbow Cup got announced initially, I suppose the main thing, obviously, it's great that we get to play South African teams and really high quality rugby and more games, essentially. But the main thing then was if the Leinster went ahead, that the the teams would be missing their internationals then or the British and Ly- Irish Lions players. And obviously the main South African teams will be missing some of the Springboks. Um, do you see that as an issue? No, I won't see it as an issue. I think uh, the, the, everyone, the, the more game time everyone gets, probably be the better. And especially for us in South Africa, like you know, we, we haven't played a lot, and especially internationally and with overseas guys. So it's, it's in South Africa, we when we play against each other, it's always local derbies, and yeah, it's it's quite physical. And when you go play overseas, you definitely have to be a bit more awake on certain stuff and. It's a bit more faster game and tactical game, so you have to definitely be think a bit more as well. So that's gonna it's gonna be a nice challenge for us. Absolutely. Could you ever see yourself joining the likes of Dam- Damien Dialende and Orgy Snyman coming to Munster? <laughs> Say again. Could you ever see yourself joining the likes of Damien Dialende and Orgy Snyman in coming to Munster and moving over this side of the world? <laughs> yeah, like I said, for me at the moment. Um, my main thing is just to get back in the rugby field. Uh, it's been a tough road for me this last year. Um, last week, Monday, was exactly one year ago since I had my first operation and it was exactly a year ago since I, since I fully started training with the team. 
So for me, I, at the moment, I'm just focusing on day by day, training by training, and see how it goes. But like I said, at the moment, I'm I'm just really enjoying it a lot. To be honest, I, I get the feeling, Peter, that you'd suit it, you'd you'd fit in a lot better in in Leinster from chatting to you here. So keep that uh, in mind. <laughs> of course, you'd say that, Ferg. <laughs> I spoke to Marcel and he enjoyed his time there and yeah, I know a lot of the South African guys are really loving Ireland and I spoke to someone there that uh, went there on holiday as well so the times we went to Ireland uh, I must say I really enjoyed it and the hospitality we got there and the people and of course the Guinness beer is always nice. Look Peter you'd be welcome anywhere over here. Best of luck with the rehab and I really hope it goes well and see you back on the field really soon. Thank you so much Peter Steph Dutois it has been a pleasure in having you on today. Thank you very much. It was a real honour and a pleasure to chat with you guys. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe. Game changed. On Tuesday, unfortunately, it was announced that the 2021 Women's World Cup in New Zealand is going to be postponed until 2022. Very disappointing, Emer, but how did you guys find out about it in, in the Ireland women's squad? Yeah, it kind of came last minute. I don't think anyone expected it, really. Even though like, there is a global pandemic, but we've been given such assurance that it was going to go ahead. Um, I was back in work this week and was actually in like a department meeting, as exciting as that sounds, and got a text to say we had a Zoom call at six o'clock. And it was bizarre because it was like an hour away. Um, so last minute. So we actually had gym anyway. We are gym out in the HPC at six o'clock. So we were just told to wait in our cars. Obviously, we're not allowed to congregate and have meetings inside. So we were all in our cars on the Zoom call. And then we were getting ready for the meeting. And unfortunately, a link on Twitter had actually come up through Scrum Queens about the French rugby had put something up about it. So we had already found out through on social media before. Like, that's obviously pretty, that's it, pretty bad. Like. It's, it's just, I suppose, timing, really. And I think the official announcement yeah. was going out at just after six o'clock. So we were, the plan was, obviously, to tell us beforehand. But it, um, so there's always some sort of a leak, isn't there, somewhere? So I think we were all speculating what it might be. You know, obviously, was it going to be a 14-day quarantine after a World Cup qualifier against Spain next weekend? Was it that that game against Spain was going to be off? But I don't think we actually expected it to be the World Cup was postponed, just because, I suppose, given any country in the world you think New Zealand would be able to handle it with how good they've been doing in the COVID situation and how they've managed to run so many successful rugby competitions at the moment. Um, it is very disappointing, but like you can completely understand that hmm. the world we're in at the moment, it's asking a lot of amateur players essentially to go for two weeks quarantine prior to competition and then play whatever, four to six weeks of a competition. And at the end of the day, we are amateur. It's a lot of time off and it isn't really ideal preparation for such a big tournament to be in potentially a hotel room for two weeks yeah you're amateur but at the same time I don't think people realize like I before I got to know you from doing this show like I was probably naive you know in thinking just how much um did the Irish women's team have to give up to and sacrifice to do all the training you know work work life you know balance all, all of those things um c- can you kind of explain you know, the implications it had for you, for instance, I know you're trying to plan for, for a wedding and, and um, other women in the team have lots of stuff going on. Just to, what is that like for you guys? Yeah, like I suppose it's just, it's full time. The fact that we obviously work Monday to Friday, nine to five or, you know, people who work other hours and every weekend, like we're in at five o'clock on a Friday, we do a double session Friday, double session Saturday, double session Sunday. I come here, I go to work tomorrow and I do it all over again. And it's just, 
it's the just constant busy routine of it. But like, it's great to be busy and obviously delighted to still be able to train at the moment when so many teams aren't allowed to train. I think when you do feel a little bit hard done by about the, you know, the World Cup postponement here, well, one, we hadn't actually qualified yet. You know, we were still in the process of qualifying. Um, so our situation still doesn't change. We're still mm. in the process of qualifying for the World Cup. But yes, there is huge sacrifices. Like, and I know personally, we changed our wedding because when the, when the schedule came out, we were flying on the day of our wedding and I just said to Dean, I was like, look, I'll, I'll be on a plane that day. Like, we can't have a wedding that day. Um, thankfully, he was understanding and we, we moved our wedding. But again, still, it's like, God, when will the qualifiers be now? When will the World Cup be? Will it, will it get in the way of our wedding? Um, so, like, that's just me personally, but every single person across the team has has made sacrifices and, it, and it's asking a lot for another 18 months to commit mm. and... I think something that the women's game doesn't have that maybe you as a as a player would have kind of worried about was you know starting families essentially you're missing a year of your life and mm. like I don't know the girls situations on the team but a lot of people will put off now having a family because mm. well it's 12 months out like it's 9 months having a baby but it's you know you're not going to come back after 9 months and it's not just in Ireland like women across the world who were involved in an Olympic sport or involved in the World Rugby Rugby World Cup in 2022 now, like they'll have to rethink everything about their lives because at the end of the day, you know, we need to get time off from our employers. We need to get time off um, college and study. And like even the last few weeks, we've been stressing over, do we have to quarantine when we go, go to Spain and play those qualifiers? And I'd had to have a chat with my principal. Thankfully, they're understanding as well. And they really support my rugby journey, but there's a lot of employers that don't support our rugby journeys and we were going to have to quarantine on coming back from Spain, which is, you know, time off your jobs. Um, and it causes so much stress, you know, and about having to get the time off and make up the time again, or you're using your holidays to play in a World Cup and you're using your annual leave to play in a World Cup and financially you're, you're losing out then as well. So yes, there is a lot of sacrifices, but you know, we're willing to do them, but I just don't think a lot of people are aware of the amount of sacrifices that we make to play um, to play this sport. No, of course. And then when you throw COVID in the mix, it just makes things so much more complicated because we had Bristol and Wales flanker Elisa Butchers going onto social media on Friday with a link of a GoFundMe page ahead of, their, uh, ahead of her ankle surgery. So Bristol um, chipped in for some of the cost for Alicia, but... Um, as a Premiership player, she had to put up a GoFundMe page for, for to gather the money for that. Like that's pretty crazy when you think about it. Yeah, it really is. I suppose for a man, it probably isn't something that you think about. Um, most of your costs will probably get covered. Um, but I, I think Bristol are they're paying for some of it. But she just is obviously out of work. She with the injury, I think she works in coaching, so she won't be able to to work. She has no income, and I suppose that's another element of the of playing the game as well that at the end of the day you know it isn't our full-time job but sometimes it affects our full-time jobs like I said so it is unfortunate and hopefully I think I think actually she has raised the money and successfully done so and the rugby community are amazing and it just shows you know when people are in need like that that they do come together but I suppose it's something that shouldn't happen to a person who is playing professionally in the premiership and also for her country. Have you ever had I suppose an injury and actually worried about it, that it was going to affect your like long-term career? Yeah, I suppose, like, I, I, when the, you were talking to me about um, Alisa Butcher's situation there before we came on air, I, I couldn't believe it because I hadn't actually heard about it. But for me personally, when I was playing, um, I had some bad injuries, but there was, there was one 
we were playing Munster in the Aviva um, a good few years ago. It was when Leo and, and Gervin Dempsey were the coaches. And I uh, injured my leg, but the way I got it caught, um, I got it caught, someone landed on top of it and I got cleaned out over it. So um, it was quite similar to what John de Villiers did, did to his knee um, playing for Munster, I think. Oh, sorry, he was playing for South Africa where he really badly did his, his knee ligaments. So um, I thought I'd broken my leg on the pitch. I, it was excruciatingly sore um, and went off on a stretcher. But I remember thinking lying on the stretcher, <coughs> I was just worried going, have I renewed my my policy, my insurance, my insurance policy, because I didn't know, I was like, this feels that bad that my career could be over. That's genuinely what was going through my head on the stretcher, which is, you know, people probably don't think that that would be running through your head, but um, I suppose when, you know, as rugby players, you've got, you know, um, financial commitments, um, you know, between mortgages and and different, uh, different things like that. So, um, yeah, that was a pretty worrying one for me. Thankfully, I did. Um, yeah, but uh, and I managed to get back from the injury. It wasn't as bad as expected, but I did. I tore all the ligaments in my knee and my ankle. A very bad injury, but um, they're the kind of headaches that professional players have as well. Um, you know, because um, the the injury side of it is 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 uh, it's it's so attritional these days. You know, you you are going to pick up some really bad injuries throughout your career, and um, you just have to. Um, you have to set yourself up outside of that to, to make sure you're not exposed. Yeah, and I suppose some good news coming from the IRFU in the past few weeks is that they have announced some central contracts, so thankfully they will be you know, be able to breathe for another few years. So Ian Henderson has signed a two-year contract, Keane Healy with the one-year, Johnny Sexton with the one-year, Peter Mahoney a two-year contract, but there's still no news on the central contract extensions for Tyke Furlong, CJ Stander or Keith Earls. Jack McGrath's one actually expires this summer. How does that whole process work? Is it is it a really stressful time for players? It would be stressful time. I'd say particularly at the moment with COVID, it would be even more stressful. Um, yeah, I remember some some years for me, it was it wasn't stressful because I was playing well and I was in the team and I was uh, young enough. And then uh, other times when I probably wasn't playing as well and maybe I was a little bit older and I was questioning, you know, whether I was going to be kept on and what money it was going to be for. So it can be stressful because it goes on for a number of months. Um, and I think I had mentioned this on another, on one of the other shows that, you know, you know, people that have a job in the corporate world or whoever else they work, I'm sure they might sign a contract and it's just on a given day and that's it. Whereas with the, it's very fluid what happens in, um, for, for, for uh, rugby contracts because it can happen any time really from um, August, September, maybe to January, like some of the last players are getting signed up in, in February and that's even been pushed out um, later because of COVID at the moment. So yeah, I've heard that some guys still aren't, aren't sorted yet, which is, which is tough because you're playing through half a season um, and your contract might be finishing in June and you still haven't secured what you're doing uh, for the following year financially. And uh, yeah, I, I hope those guys do get sorted and I hope the best players um, stay in the country because um, they're going to be really important for the growth uh, under Andy Farrell going into that World Cup in 2023. So in relation to the central contracts, um, they have been reduced from 25 to 14 in the past four years. What extra do those central contracts give the players? 
not in terms of money. I don't want to know money exactly, but you know. Well, I, well you're asking the wrong man because I was never on one. <laughs> I was always uh, contracted with Leinster. Um, well, I think the, the reality is the difference is, is, is monetary. So it's, it's the amount that those pool of guys that are contracted under the um, IRFU are the highest paid play, players in the country. But um, the kind of bonus for those guys is they're probably managed um, um, more closely as well with their game time. Um, so if you see the likes of Johnny Sexton, um, you know, even if he's available, he probably doesn't play, you know, every single game he could with Leinster because that's being managed by um, the Irish setup. So um, that would probably be the perks, but really it's, it's, it's the money, you pay, you're paid more um, yeah. if you're contracted. Do you think it makes sense to have that differentiation or should everyone just be on a Munster, pro Munster contract or a Connacht contract or the provincial ones? Well, I think it's a control thing. So if, if you've got, you know, your, your, I don't know how many there is now, there used to be a few more of them, but um, say if you've got your eight guys that you know are going to be starting in the Irish team, you know, you know if, they, if they're fully fit, they're, they're going to be playing in the side. So the likes of Andy Farrell and the coaching ticket in, in Ireland, they want to have more control over those players so that they're coming in, um, you know, fully fit and fully fresh for you know the biggest part of what they see is the season for them because the Six Nations is you know is is pivotal for them. So if they have those eight guys they're controlling that they know they're going to start in the best shape possible, then that's the reason they're doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's it for today. Cheers to Peter for joining us and cheers to everybody for watching and listening again this week. A big thank you to producer Pat, Paul, Dermot, Anthony and everyone that helped in getting this show together. This has been House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe Slangafall. House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe. Game changed. <laughs>